There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. Captivity can go far beyond the companies you represent. It starts between your ears and its impact is felt in every corner of your business. We're all about helping agency principals and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. If your goals are big enough, you're going to have to get uncomfortable to be able to reach them. Our team at RiskWell is living this out every single day. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and everything I learn along the way. We deliver relevant, tactical, and actionable content from industry peers, innovative partners, and a variety of leaders from other business verticals. We're not holding anything back. There's no upsell, no guru pitch, and no fluff. It's time to unshackle yourself from captivity and make your freedom jump with the Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. We help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. This episode has a member of the illustrious knuckleheads. You guys have heard me talk about it from time to time. JC Wagaman from Indiana. How's it going, man? It's going great, man. How about yourself? I drove up to the office to record with you and Mr. Dane Williams later on today, another member of the Knuckleheads. Lord knows I am not going to drive up to the office the week between Christmas and New Year's for just anybody. So there you go, man. You are important to me. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. Now, I should warn you guys out there in uh, in audience land, uh, JC is unpredictable. He plays by the beat of his own drum, and I have absolutely no idea where this conversation is going. Uh, JC and I met accidentally in Phoenix, April of 21, at what was then called uh, the Better Conference, now known as the Agency Success Conference. We we're shacked up with 10 other or eight other guys in an Airbnb, which came to be uh, iconic in my life story because we got a whole bunch of guys that really just hit it off instantly. And I don't know if it was me or somebody else, but I started referring to us as the knuckleheads. And yeah, it just became this little mastermind thing. We have a group chat on Facebook and it has just been the most fun. So that's where JC and I uh, get hooked up. And I'm just going to. You know, hand him the microphone here. We'll do the intro thing. And uh, JC has strong opinions on a lot of subjects, uh, which I find terribly entertaining, honestly. So, uh, JC, who are you, man? What's your backstory? What do you do? Let's get after it. Oh, man. Well, I, I first have to say I appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast. You know, when I go back to when I started the idea of forming Catalyst Insurance Group, I had about a six-month runway. And the first thing I did was just jump on as many podcasts as I could find and I'll never forget, it was Joey Gingola and um, Sid Rowe had a podcast, and that was the very first one, and, and they had a guest on by Chris Paradiso, and I'll never forget that podcast. And then from there, that led me to the insurance guys, and then that led me to another podcast, and I just became a sponge because it was such, it was so instrumental in my growth and advancement because I'd never been an agency owner. In fact... I had been out of the industry altogether for eight years prior to opening my agency. So if it wasn't for podcasts like this, I, I'd be light years behind. And who knows if I'd even still be here three and a half years later. So thank you for the opportunity to come on here and hopefully help some other people. Yeah, man. 
No, the beautiful thing is your journey is a little bit eclectic. Not many people are in the insurance world, leave entirely, and then come back again. So before we do anything else, why don't you just give us the basic chronology of your journey in the last X number of years? However, I can't tell from the amount of hair on your head how long you've been in the game. I I don't know. As we say in the knuckleheads, bald is the new black. And yeah, he is bringing sexy back, ladies and gentlemen. You can't see him right now. We're only recording audio thanks to some bandwidth issues on my end. But yeah, check him out on social. You can see uh, see what he's got going on there. Give us the rundown of your your career, cause where you were, sure. when you were. And I'm, I'm going to dig into that a little bit and kind of get your gauge on moves that you made and the reasons behind them. Because a lot of folks out there are contemplating a move from where they are now to where they want to be. And your story is going to help them. Yeah. You know, I can't, I don't feel like I can share my story accurately until I go back to when I was 10 years old. When I was 10 years old, my father passed away. And by the time I was 15, my mom and I were essentially homeless. We were living on people's couches in and, our, in and around our community until I could graduate high school. But I made a decision very quickly at that point in time that I didn't want that to be my story. And so I knew I was going to be successful. I knew I was going to be driven. I just didn't know it what. And so fast forward, I got a full ride scholarship to go to Ball State University, home of David Letterman. A lot of people uh, know that. So went to Ball State. And um, when I was 19, a guy came to me and, and I knew I was going to go into sales and marketing. I just didn't know what kind yet. And he said, have you ever met an old poor insurance guy? I said, well, no, no. As a matter of fact, I haven't. That sounds amazing because you got to understand my, my mental, where I came from, that was the message that I wanted to hear when I was 19 years old. And so um, I decided to go into the insurance business. I decided to double major in marketing and insurance. And um, this gentleman that introduced me to the insurance world now owns a very successful independent agency outside of Indianapolis here. But he uh, he worked for Federated Insurance at the time. And I loved everything that they had, the the training program and, and the whole kit and caboodle there. I was like, this is going to teach me how to go be successful. And so I jumped all over that. And they moved me to Minnesota for nine months of training in their MDT program. And then they said, pack up your stuff. You're moving to Lafayette, Indiana. I said, okay, I've never been to Lafayette, but let's go. And so they moved me to Lafayette, Indiana and gave me a, a four-county territory that when I first inherited it, I grew that by about 300% over the first six, seven years. And then 2008 happened. And when 2008 happened, I lost over a million dollars of business in 12 months. At that point in time, I was on straight commission and no fault of the company. They were just doing what they felt they had to do, right? To be financially secure into the future. But as a captive agent, you don't have any choice. You know, whatever the company decides to do, I am the messenger to my client. And Mm -hmm. so through that process... I didn't have anywhere to go with these customers. And and finally, when I lost some of my best customers and they said, JC, it's not you. I just can't justify paying that much more for you to be my agent. And that's when that seed was planted that, man, the captive model has its advantages in in a lot of areas, but it's not not everything for everybody. And Mm -hmm. so through that process, you know, I've often heard get on your knees or God will put you there. And when you lose 65% of your income, your annual income, all of a sudden, 
you're humbled pretty quickly. And what I mm-hmm. came to realize is that I didn't like who I had become in that process, in that journey, because coming from where I came from and uh, my humble beginnings to where I was at now, I found out, I shamefully have to admit that I had become somebody who had fallen in love with status and money and stature in the community and all the wrong things. And, yeah. you know, when you take away 65% of your income and you're stripped down and you're you're at a low point, I didn't like who I had become in that process because I just knew that wasn't me. And so through that refinement process, I stuck it out with Federated for another couple of years. Didn't care for my immediate management at the time. Uh, Him and I disagreed on a lot of things. And so I decided that I didn't want to stay there. Again, I love the company. I have no ill will towards Federated whatsoever. In fact, the guy who hired me right out of Ball State is one of my personal lines customers right now. So (laughs) it was my manager at Federated. So funny how things come full circle. But I went to work for one of the largest independent agencies in the in the country, uh, in Brown and Brown, and it just ended up not being a good fit for me. So I was only there for about ten months, and I just and maybe it's because I was shot from that experience, that humbling experience. But I didn't know what I was going to do next. But I had made up my mind it was not going to be insurance. So in 2011, I left the insurance industry altogether. And when I say all together, I let my licenses lapse, everything. I was as far away from the insurance industry as one could be. And so I spent the next five years marketing a travel company, had a lot of fun, didn't make very much money. So we decided to move from Lafayette, Indiana, down here to the south side of Indianapolis, where my wife's family is from. And so mortgage companies don't like fluctuating 1099 income when it's not enough. So I had to go get a W-2 job as a um, working at equipment rental place, construction equipment rental. Did that for two and a half years. Made really good money, but it was like going to work at a high school locker room every day. Very low level leadership. And I couldn't see myself there long term. So a friend of mine said, hey, we need somebody with a lot of sales experience. You're the guy. We'll match what you're making. Come on board with us. I'm like, well, I don't know anything about that industry. I said, but if you're willing to teach me, I know people and we'll figure it out. Mm. So I went to went to work for them and very, very quickly realized they made a horrible mistake. The owner of that company promised a lot of things that he never delivered on. And then, you know, it was kind of a three strikes deal. He started telling me to do things that I just didn't agree with. He was starting to tell me that, hey, if you don't know the answer to something, make it up and hope it's true. I'm like, what? Wow. And then and then the second thing that, he told that's me That's actually was, something your direct report told you to do. The owner of the company. Owner of the Oh my gosh, man. So wow. then the second second strike was he said, um, "Hey, I know you got all these deals pending. Call them and tell them there's a price increase coming to see if we can get them across the line." I said, "But there's not." He goes, "They don't know that." That was strike 2. Man. And then if you know me, I'm heavily involved in my kids' activities. That goes back to my dad when he was alive. He would sacrifice work and everything else to be coaching my baseball, to be at my soccer games, to be at my Pinewood Derby and Cub Scout. So I've taken that and 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 kind of the full circle again back into my children's lives. I love being there for my kids and having them see me involved in their schools and their activities. And so that office was about 45 minutes to an hour away from my house. So when we'd have baseball practice days or basketball practice days, I'd have to leave about 4.30 so I can get home in time to get the kids to practice. And the straw that broke the camel's back, I'll never forget the conversation. He's like, hey, 
I think you're spending a little too much time on your kids' activities. You need to be here at this office more. And at that moment, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but it's not going to be this. And so Mm. through some serious soul searching, I was 39 years old at the time. I said, I have to plant my flag somewhere because I can't keep hopping deal to deal to deal or else I'm going to end up being a door greeter somewhere when I'm 80 years old. And so I thought long and hard about it. And my wife, she goes, why don't you get back into her insurance? You were an excellent insurance agent back when you were with Federated. And I said, no way, not going to happen because it was a very painful thing for me to think about who I used to be. And now I had gone through this refinement over the last 10 years and I'm not anywhere close to what the same person that I was. And my wife will testify to that. <laughs> but I, it, I wanted nothing to do with it. So I kept thinking of other things that I could possibly do. And then I was at church one day and I heard a sermon uh, that my pastor gave talking about big dreams and goals. And if you can achieve it by yourself, then that's not really a dream or goal. If you can, you know, and it hit me exactly. It was like the clearest thing I'd ever seen in how I was going to do this. I was going to get back into insurance, but I wasn't going to do it for profits and paychecks. Yes, those are important. And anybody says that they're not, I question that. But It wasn't my main focus. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to partner with various nonprofits in and around our community. And my goal and mission is to take something that people hate paying for, that most people never use, and take a portion of that so at the very least, they can feel good about impacting their community. And so we take a portion of every dollar we receive in premiums and we turn around and give that back to the community to primarily work with two types of organizations. Organizations that are going to elevate the human condition, meaning help feed, clothe, or educate, or organizations that support our military veterans and our first responders. And we've also done things with local youth sports programs and our local elementary schools, as well as community fundraising events. But just over three years in, um, we've given back over $40,000 to our community. And that's something that I am just super proud of because it's happening, right? I had this crazy vision in church one day where I'd already had half my business plan formulated before the sermon was over. And here we are seeing it come to fruition. And it's just been an amazing journey. And so that was three. We launched August 1st of 2019. And it's been an amazing journey. And there have been some some potholes that we've tripped and fell in along the way and mistakes that were made. But I knew that was part of the process, right? Yep. You have to embrace I, – I like to say embrace the suck because there's going to be a part of this journey if you decide to do this on your own that's just not going to be pleasant. And, but you got to go through it, right? I recently hired a new producer and, I, and, and he, I'm telling him he's got to do a quote video with every – personalized proposal that goes out the door. And I said, just know your first one is going to be absolutely God awful, but it'll be the worst one you ever do. Yep. That's the truth too, man. So anyways, that's my story, man. Um, So here we are in 20 on the eve of 2023 and really excited because for the first two years, I had no idea what I was doing. I honestly went into this with the mindset that I'm an intern in my own business and I had no expectations. I had no revenue goals. And I got to understand, I am extremely blessed. If it wasn't for my loving wife, I don't know if this agency would even be here because she's been able to support our family um, so that I didn't have to put food on the table for my family through this business. That provided me an unbelievable opportunity to take the time to focus on process 
and procedures and a customer experience and building those systems to deliver what I think I'll put our customer experience up against anybody now. Um, And now I have the confidence to deliver that. But the first two years, it was like, well, let's try this. That didn't work. Let's try that. Oh, I heard this on a podcast. Let's try that. And just through that trial and error system and focusing on it, I couldn't have done this without my wife, without a doubt, 100%. Smart man for that. And shout out to Aaron, uh, the real rock star behind Catalyst Insurance Group. There you go. I love giving a spouse a shout out anytime again because every agency principal knows that that spouse, their name might not be on the door, but they have extreme involvement in the success of the agency for sure. You know, it, it's such a privilege to get to see the way that you bridge the work and the family game. And having seen you at, at several conferences and events and whatnot, you actually live it out. Like you're concerned about what your family thinks and making your wife proud. And if Aaron was here, she would be happy with me or not. We won't tell her about the incident with you yelling at me from the back seat three or four drinks in, but that's neither here nor there, right? Hey, so, I won't bring up that incident if we, or, or you don't bring up that incident and I won't bring up the mountain. Oh, they, they've heard the story of the mountain here on this podcast. <laughs> they, know, they know all about that. The, the mountain bent me over and paddled my rear end and told me who my daddy was. So, yeah. <laughs> Every time I comment on Billy Wagner's stuff, anything that he puts out, I, I have to like hold myself back from saying something about, oh, by the way, thanks again for saving my life. <laughs> it's like well, oh, I kind of want to thank you for having your little episode because they gave me a whole day on the mountain with Billy Wagner. Oh man. That honestly <laughs> and I don't have any idea if Billy actually listens to this podcast or not, but if he does, he'll get a chuckle out of the fact that both of us felt the same way. It's like, <laughs> oh wait, wait a second. I'm on a hike with just JC and Billy. I get uninterrupted time with Billy freaking Wagner for the next several hours and yeah, it's that, that was probably the only good thing that happened in that entire awful, awful day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we could do a whole podcast. I on think my knees might day. still hurt from that day. And that was, you know, seven months ago. So <laughs> the, did you see the the post on social? I was in Phoenix for a mastermind talking about like alternative risk transfer and captive formation and stuff. And my hotel was a little bit elevated on the, this bluff in the middle of the Phoenix area. And on the horizon, I could see... Flatiron over there on the horizon. And it was just like, middle finger, F you, Flatiron. I see you over there just staring at me. You no, know, when we got done that day, I said, I'm never going to do this again. I've done it twice now. I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to do this again. But, you know, it's kind of like a bad family vacation. Yeah. Once enough time goes by, you're like, oh, that was awesome. Let's go do it again. <laughs> Dude, I, I was three months deep in the keto lifestyle. I did not carb load. I didn't you prepare correctly. You should have taken Jolly Rancher, man. I told you. Yeah. I almost feel like I need to do it again and go after it with the proper nutrition leading up to it just so I can stand on top and be like, yeah, what's <laughs> up this time? You're not beating me this time, flat what's iron. What's the up? The down was definitely the worst <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yep. Nothing, nothing. Uh, no lie about that, man. Now, one of these days I'm going to get really wealthy and just hire myself a helicopter and fly up there and drop myself off at the summit and then hop right back in my helicopter and go back to the bottom and feel, you know, something special there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I should have known better than to bring that up because you would call me off sides with the whole flat iron incident. But yeah, if you ever find yourself in the Phoenix area and you want a great hill to climb, go check out flat iron over there in the, I don't even remember the, the name of the mountain range. That's, you know. There's a lot of business lessons, though, that can be derived from that journey. Yeah. When you think about it. 
don't bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> Prepare well, for the way down and not just the way up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, how are we gonna get you off that mountain? One six inch step at a time if we had to. Dude. How are you gonna you know, how are you gonna finish? You one six inch step at a time if that's what mm. it takes. Just don't sit still. Mm, you freak out. <laughs> I I have never been in a situation where my body literally shuts down and my muscles don't work. It's like you try to bend your leg and your muscles go, uh-uh, nope, not bending. Don't even think about it, pal. I got a mountain bike experience I'll share with you one time where I was in a situation like that that was terrifying, but that's for a different That's for mm. a different time. Man, there's probably a lot of lessons. And right about now, my wife is sitting there going, get back on topic. You've been uh, chasing rabbits too long. There's a few things that you brought up in your story, man. I love the grit. I am such a big fan of yours. I, I remember when we first met after, you know, April of 21. I remember a lot of the questions uh, that you put in the group and questions that you called me about. And some of them were just like, why are you asking this question? This is really like rudimentary and simple and stuff. And I never said that, of course, because that would be a jackass thing to do. But to see where you are now, just a year and a half later, it's like, whoa, this dude has grown in a crazy way. You hired yourself a full-time producer you're figuring out the the virtual employee thing. I don't know if you've hired a VE or not. Yep. I thought you, think you probably have. It's like, wow, JC is a real success story. So, you know, going back into that story where you shared kind of your background, I would love to, first off with Federated, I just call them Fed most of the time, like I think most people do that are familiar with them. Was that mostly agribusiness or was it other verticals? Because my impression of Federated is the things that they're really good at, you're not going to beat them because they're just extremely good at a small number of things. But outside of that, they don't even bother. Was that me, your experience? Yeah. let me. The, the most valuable things that I learned from that captive experience, see, the way that they're structured is you have a territory, a geographic territory. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had four counties and they only write certain types of businesses. And it's auto dealers, equipment dealers, machine shops, subcontractors, meaning your HVAC, your electrical, your plumbing. Mm -hmm. They don't like too much drywall. This is back then. This is at the time. I don't know what it is now. Concrete. They would do concrete. Wasn't their favorite, but they'd do it. Auto repair. I think I said that. Basically, anything, the way I summed it up, anything you can get your hands dirty doing, that was their it's forte. Blue collar. Yeah. Yeah. And when I started there, they tried to be everything to those certain few businesses. They did group health insurance. I had to do group health. I did the PNC. We even did a little bit of personal lines at the time. I never did any, but big life number. You know, it's funny. I look at what some of my carriers now that, that make us sell life insurance put on us and I laugh compared to what I used to have to do at Federated. It's unbelievably different. Hmm. But the, that, that was their business model. So when you're given this box, there's only so many of those types of businesses in that box, yep. right? And so my job and what they taught me to do, which seems to be a lost art anymore, is I had to take suspects and turn them into prospects. And I had to take prospects and turn them into customers. Yep. I only had so many John Deere dealers in my territory to call on. So unless I'm just going to not make any money, I had to call on them all the time. You know, and if you talk to anybody that's been with Fed or has a federated rep that calls on them constantly, they'll tell you they see their agent all the time because that's their business model. Yeah. Right. It taught me how to build relationships with business owners and how to sell on value, not just price. And so now 
That being said, one of the huge challenges as an independent agent, you don't necessarily have all of those resources at your fingertips like you did when you're a captive, right? I have to go out and develop those now myself or pay for them yep. in order to deliver that same level of value. So it's not all sunshine and roses, right? I mean, there's not a blueprint. I think that's probably – if when people jump from captive to independent, that's probably one of the things I think a lot of people will struggle with is they can do everything now. Not that they should, but they can. Yeah. It's almost – wouldn't it be nice if somebody was writing a book that covered 15 concept areas in extreme detail that people need to be aware <laughs> of? When they're when they're launching an agency like that, Gosh, I, I, I wish I somebody would, I would write really that. Book. Like to read that book. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sometimes I'm a little too on the nose, right? Right. Yeah, send it to the publisher. By the way, folks, that's but awesome. It's coming out Q1, probably two or three months from now. So yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for that experience um, there with them because that's what they taught me was I had to turn suspects into prospects and prospects into customers. It, it, the and value I, of a niche, I think, would be also something, right? Like when it's when you're not something I understood at the time, but I do now. Yeah, and when you're forced to go in a, a small lane and make the most of every possible opportunity, and like you said, you have to call on them. So call reluctance and fear, and what if they say no to me? Like none of that stuff even matters because you you have to like. There is no other option. You call or you get your street corner set up and start panhandling. You know, it, I'll, I'll never, there's one particular account that I didn't end up landing. But when I first called on and been with the same guy for 20 years, not interested, not interested, month after month, not interested. Thanks for stopping by. But, but I'd always did it with a smile. I coined the term pleasantly persistent. Right. So then I, once a month, um, they were a member of a trade association. That's how the Fed does a lot of their marketing is through trade associations. They were a member of a trade association and we were the recommended provider. So I would take the article that Fed would write in their magazine each month back when actually you got print articles. Right. And I would, I would tear it out. And I don't know if your users can see this, probably not, but this is a federated thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would write a note on it. I would throw it in an envelope. And I would just say, hey, came across this article, thought you might be able to use it. If you can, great. If not, throw it in the trash. And I did that month after month after month after month after month. Finally, three years later, he gave me a chance to give him a quote, right? Yeah, fine. You can give me a quote. I didn't get it. I didn't get the business that year. But I learned what I needed to do to get the business the next year. Mm -hmm. And so we quoted it again. And it ended up being one of my largest accounts, multiple six, you know, it was multiple six Love figures. It. And it was a guy that wouldn't give me the time of day, but I just, I just kept being pleasantly persistent. You know, I'd show up with a smile, even if, they, even if they, how, how hard is it to be mean to somebody that shows up with a smile? It's pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, as <laughs> I have a reputation you know, in my somebody, office for being absolutely brutal with vendors that come in with bad sales skills, or they just come in mm -hmm. and try to waste our time. It's like, well, I'm going to tell you no because you don't want to talk to James because James will tell you exactly what's wrong with your sales pitch. And you may not <laughs> want coaching, but he's going to give it to you anyway. <laughs> so I love that. You're right. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. 
That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. I hold that experience in high regards because it taught me a lot about being a professional salesperson Mm -hmm. and not just an agent that's out there humping the streets trying to get an opportunity to quote. There's a real big difference between being a professional that takes your craft seriously and being a hustler. Don't get me wrong. Hustle and grit uh, definitely has its place, man. You know how I feel about that. But you're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. There is a huge difference when you approach your craft with a certain level of distinction and professionalism. People can sense that. People, especially the higher value prospects and suspects, they can tell when you run at a different level than your peers, I think. So, okay, um, I'm going to pitch, not pitch, that's not the word, it's pivot is what I meant to say. I'm going to pivot to the community involvement because you threw out $40,000 and I don't have any idea where your revenue is. You're in Indiana, so every policy you sell is about 30% the premium of the same policy in Texas. So I got to think $40,000 is a nice chunk of change for where your agency is at right now. So you are really committed to community engagement. Those two categories you talked about, uh, mm-hmm. improving someone's life. And give me that line again, because it came out of your mouth so smooth and polished. I know you've practiced that. Uh, it's th- on tell every me that video again. proposal I do. It's on every video quote I've done for the last three and a half years that we, we primarily work with two types of organizations. Organizations that are going to elevate the human condition, meaning help feed, clothe, or educate, or organizations that are going to support our military veterans and first responders. Love that. The way that it came out of your mouth was like, he said that a few times. That one came <laughs> out real smooth. No, I, I, I love that. Talk to me about exactly how that came about, how you did that. I got to talk with uh, with the Richardsons up in Massachusetts. That episode dropped, I, I mm-hmm. think, last Friday as we record this. And one of the things that Mike and Aaron are so good at is finding creative ways to engage in their community. But it's not necessarily like openly philanthropic like what you're doing. I'm sure they do some of that stuff, but they have a lot of things going on through Chamber of Commerce and whatnot. What you're doing is mostly just giving money to a worthy cause in your community based on, you know, bound business. Talk to me about your approach there. Cause it sounds like it's a little bit different. Well, that's why I'm here, right? A catalyst is a condition event or person that is cause of an important change. That's where the name came from. And that's what I said I was going to do. Now the last two, three years, have there been times where it's been hard to stroke that check? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I could use that to grow the business. But that's not, I said, that's not my first priority. My first priority was to use insurance as a vehicle to make an impact in and around our community. So by keeping first things first, it keeps me centered and prevents me from becoming the person that I used to be. Mm. And so that's why I am so committed to it. I got the, the most amazing compliment. I cold called, I literally was out on the street, knocked in, walked in, to a a large electrical contractor. And I just said, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about taking a look at possibly looking at your insurance. 
And he, the, the owner of the company sitting right there, he goes, you're the guy on Facebook that gives away all that money. And it was like, <laughs> that's what he knew me as. And I, you know, I had a real hard time early on publicizing, like posting pictures with the big checks that we're donating um, because that's not what it's about. It's not about, look how great I am. Look how wonderful we are. It's, but somebody said, you know, people need to know what you're doing. And what I have found, which was an unexpected gift of this process, are other business owners and other people who have decided to follow suit mm -hmm. and do something similar with their businesses and their communities. So I threw a, a stone into a smooth pond and created ripples. And that ripple, as it expands out, is impacting more and more lives. So my dream and my goal that day in church four years ago was I wanted to give away a million dollars in 10 years. And there's a gentleman I, I don't talk about a whole lot. His name's Jason Lakes, a phenomenal individual. Um, but he taught me that it's not what you do, it's what you do it for. And because he works for a commercial roofing company and they go out and they they do a special kind of commercial roof, um, but their whole mission is to restore roofs and restore people. So they'll take people that maybe recently came out of prison or whatever and go put them up on a roof He go and try to help them. And then they take their profits and go down to Costa Rica and build houses. He goes, JC, I sell roofs. There's nothing exciting about selling roofs. But when I can share the story behind it. Yeah. Now I have a compelling vision. And, and so that's kind of, he's the one that planted the seed in me about using insurance as something, as a vehicle, because by putting those first things first, I'll be taken care of just fine. Mm -hmm. There's plenty left for me. I've got family members who don't understand that. Like you need to be putting money away and you should be paying yourself more. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, look, I've got my eye on the long game here. I know that if I stay true to my mission, that I will be taken care of. Not to go all church, but you can't outgive God. No. It, you go all church all you want, brother. You got a microphone in your face. You can say whatever you want. Uh, it just so happens I happen to share your religious beliefs. So, but hey, it, you know, if, if you were of a different persuasion, you'd have the same freedom. It'd be kind of ironic if the podcast called Agency Freedom was like censoring other religious beliefs, wouldn't it? <laughs> Not today. Uh, the way that that you approach that, I love what you said about you know you're self conscious about the big check because I think that the optics of that it all goes back to messaging it all goes back to how you're doing it because this is a big part of your why and this is something you care about personally if you make it about the organization that's receiving the money and talk about how great they are and the work that they're doing. And then like an, oh, by the way, we're so proud. Our office is grateful to, you know, have a portion of our sales and revenue go to something like this. If you're presenting Catalyst as an, oh, by the way, yeah, this is Catalyst. But 85, 90% of what you're saying is about the organization and how important they are and, and blah, blah, blah. That's the way you get around it because nobody likes it. If it's like, hey, look at me, I'm giving a big check away. Aren't I important? Right. It's like that's an immediate turnoff. But well that's that's why if you go back through some of my social media posts about it, I will do an interview. I almost always try to do an interview with the um the head of the organization. I'm like, tell our tell our viewers, tell our watchers, tell our listeners what this organization's all about. I don't know anybody personally that's been a victim of human trafficking, but maybe somebody in my audience does, and now we can connect them with a resource to help get them the help that they need. Mm. You know, um it might spawn a thought in somebody or uh, somebody who's been that's in a in a domestic abuse situation, 
you know, maybe somebody watches this video and learns about an organization or a resource that is able to impact their life. And it's all because of, I wanted to make sure that I could get their message out on, you know, to other people. So mm. you just never know the three degrees, four degrees, five degrees of separation that that message might fall upon. How did you just looking at it from a logistics perspective, how did you decide what that amount was? Is it a percent of profit of, of revenue? Is it a fixed amount per quote that goes out? Cause somebody somewhere line is revenue. percentage of top line. Okay. Sweet. Because I knew somebody is going to message you and say, how do you decide what that looks like logistically? I'll never forget my first check to my to the, the very first check I wrote was $255. Mm. And I, I was so proud of writing that check because I was like, this is it. This is the mission. This is what I'm here to do. Right? I haven't even paid myself yet. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. That's great, man. Now, this, this is exactly where I wanted, you know, a little bit to... Uh, a little bit more off the cuff and just an informal episode. What else? Anything on your mind? Any current events? Anything? Uh, we're getting ready to land the plane here in just a couple of minutes, but I'll give you the mic. We can talk about anything that's on your mind. Now, nah, you know, at this point, from a business perspective, and this sounds cliche, but we've all heard the saying before, because I can see further than others is because I stand on the shoulders of giants, right? And it's, I'm amazed at the amount of people in our industry that are willing to help people and they owe them nothing. Billy Wagner owes me nothing. Chris Paradiso owes me nothing. Bradley Flowers owes me nothing. These titans in our independent industry, in the modern agency industry, Eric Roberts is another one, owes me nothing. But they will pour into me every chance. They never turn down my call. If I send them a text message, hey, can I get 10 minutes of your time today? Never turn me down. And that has just been probably the greatest gift and yourself too, James. You never, you've never hesitated to respond to a coverage question at 1130 at night. <laughs> Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> right? Oh, um, man. Thanks, but, JC. It just narked on me. Okay. <laughs> but that, that, has, um, that has been the most amazing blessing. And that's the only reason that I've been able to navigate these waters. Because when I started my agency – Unlike most people who jump out of a captive right into another situation where they open their own agency, I had an eight-year gap. Yeah. And it probably, I would think in the way insurance is delivered to the customer has been probably the most dynamic eight-year gap in the history of our industry as far mm -hmm. as the evolution of technology. I agree. So when I opened my agency, I had no perspective. And that was a blessing and a curse, Right. I would go into things with no preconceived ideas of how it should be. Yep. Other than what I listen to on podcasts, that's how I've been able to, to build my agency the way that I've built it is learning from others, trying it, adjusting, tweaking, fine-tuning, doing it again, blowing it up, starting from scratch, take what worked, what didn't work, take throw out what didn't work, take what did work, rebuild it again. I've done that so many times through our process. But yeah, anyways, I'm kind of rambling there. But No, that's you're good. And I, I love that you and I approach this from the same basic philosophy of if you're the smartest one in the room or even close to the smartest one in the room or the most accomplished, or the most successful, you're in the wrong room. You can be in a circle that makes you feel great about yourself, that makes you feel big and bad and important, or you can be in a circle where you grow, where you're challenged, where you are required to be humble and not stand on the table and thump your chest and think how great you are. Because 
literally everybody around you is as good, if not better, in any meaningful metric. I've seen that from you in the Knuckleheads. I've seen that in IAOA and the other circles that you and I share. It's it's a really important quality to have, I feel like, especially as we get better and we're not at the first level, the first two, three, four levels where, you know, you've started to to have some wins and you started to have some accomplishments and whatnot. Continuing that growth mindset, continuing to search for the circle that is still ahead of you and still is beyond you and able to where you're able to learn and contribute, obviously. I mean, Lord knows I've learned from you. That even the the community engagement stuff, we're not doing any of that. We're not we have some certain things that I do on a personal level where I, I'm engaged in charitable giving on a personal level, but our agency isn't at all. Like between this conversation and talking to Mike and Aaron Richardson uh, just a couple of weeks ago, it's bad. I'm sitting here just feeling convicted and wow, I'm missing the ball. I really need to be better about engaging philanthropically with risk while in our local community. I, I don't know what that looks like, but I tell you, this conversation pushed me over the edge there, brother. That's for sure. So any last words you want to drop in before we get going? Well, you know, the last thing that I'll share is, you know, there was a conversation I had and I'm going to call him out. Him and I have cleared the air, but Christian Moore. Yeah. And I heard him on one of the podcasts I was listening to when I was formulating my agency. And so I didn't hesitate to find out how to get a hold of him. Message, I don't know if it's LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. I connected with him and we ended up just getting some time to talk. And in that conversation, and he's apologized to me for this sense, but I'm, I'm grateful for it. But at the time, it pissed me off to no end. And that was, he's like, you know, you sound like you'd be a great producer, but I don't, I don't think you're cut out to be an agency owner. And I Christian, don't be telling people that. I know you're listening to this podcast, Christian. You've got to stop telling people that. But you know what? I'm great. <laughs> I'm really grateful for that conversation. Oh man, because it changed my perspective a lot, and it made me realize that there's a lot more to this game than just selling insurance. And if I had to say I underestimated anything in this process of starting an agency from scratch, no aggregator, direct contracts from scratch is that I grossly underestimated the amount of time that would go into running a business Mm -hmm. and not selling insurance. To that point, do you mind if I ask you a follow-up question based on the carrier stuff that you shared in Knuckleheads? I don't want to air your business if you'd rather not get into it. The, the, the question about like market selection and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So you're at a point now, and the fact that you haven't affiliated with any organization, I think is really commendable. You school of hard knocks, right? You figured out a lot of things on your own, which is definitely the hardest way to do it. You know, when you were sharing in the group, you're trying to figure out if there's a, a better path forward with aligning yourself with some organization that may help with some of these things. You literally said, the only thing I need is market access. It's like you've got your systems and processes, your workflows are are well laid out, you've got a great head on your shoulders, you already have success as an agency owner. What is that process like when you get to a point and you think, you know, maybe I would be better off if I align myself with one of these organizations, whether it's a big dog like an SIAA or a Keystone or Iroquois or, or one of these large organizations or maybe something a little bit smaller like Agency Collective or a, a CLI Select from Danielle Smink or Pacific. There's several of that like middle tier. How do you approach that from a position of someone who already has success? You have, I don't know how many appointments you have, but you have a few that you've gone out and got on your own. 
How do you approach that conversation tactically? Because there's a lot of people that are sitting there in a similar spot who are completely independent, aren't affiliated with any group at all, and are probably having the same kind of conversation that you're having with yourself right now. I had a horrible taste in my mouth. I, I, when I looked at starting my agency, I interviewed with one of the big aggregators and I just couldn't wrap my head around their model. The, just the way that the contract was structured and I was essentially bringing them in as a partner in my agency rather than, I mean, like a true partner. I mean, they got ownership basically is how I felt about it. And I just, I hate that already. (laughs) I just couldn't do that. I'm like, no, that's not what I want. And so I was able to go out and get my direct contract and it's, and they've been a great partner and they do have, they do have their challenges, but they've been a great partner for us. But then I'm ready to take my business to the next level, right? I have my producer on board. I have my personal lines. He's going to take care of personal lines. I've got that process ironed out to what I think it's never going to be perfect. Nobody's ever going to have the perfect customer experience, Mm -hmm. the perfect process, but I like where ours is at and I like where it's going. It's pretty darn good. Real quick, just so I can name drop a couple, because I know folks like the technology stuff. From what I've heard from you before, you're a big fan of Glovebox. You're a big fan of Canopy Connect. Any other vendors you want to give a shout out to for that really work well in your office? Oh my gosh. I Every time somebody says, hey, what's your tech stack? I get nauseous when I think about all the things I'm spending money on. Mm-hmm. But uh, my, my agency management systems, Hawksoft, I use agency Zoom. One of the cool things there is the two-way integration now with that. So anything that I do in agency Zoom automatically logs including phone calls where I'll get a link automatically logged to the client record in my agency management system. But my entire sales process is built around Canopy Connect. Um, I also use PandaDoc for agency branded proposals Hmm. um, where I have a standing template and my VE goes in and enters the information, sends it over, zaps it over into PandaDoc. So now I have an agency branded PDF proposal. I never send out a carrier branded proposal ever, big or small. And Advisor Evolved, uh, Chris Langell. Yep. I know you're a big fan of that too. Yeah. And so he's he's been great. I use our website. It's not just a digital brochure that people can go look at. It's literally an asset and tool in our agency that we use on a daily basis. We use. We have so many internal forms hosted on our website that are internal facing for us to use so that we can input the information so that it'll digitally zap over to the other platforms that we're using. Yeah. And that wouldn't be possible without the flexibility and uh, the way that the, the advisor of all websites built and on top of that quote videos, those types of things. So that's just a small peek into my tech stack. I can yeah. go, I could go even deeper on that. There, that's there's a lot of overlap in the way that you and I operate from a, a technology position. Yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I didn't mean to take you off sides there. Sorry. You know, we, uh, you were having the market conversation where you've nailed down personal lines. And I think you're about to say that you're focusing on growing commercial, right? Yeah. Now that I have a personal lines producer, I pulled the trigger and joined the the killing commercial program because I need to have a sales process that's equally as good, if not better on the commercial side that I have on the personal side. Yep. Because that's my background, right? 10 years with Federated. That's, that's what I learned to do is the, the commercial sales. And so I just need some assistance in getting that to an elite level. So I have an elite process comparable to how I feel I have an elite process on the personal lines. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm looking to get out of that program as well. Love it. 
Now, I'm going to throw you a curveball here because I know we're basically ran out of time on the, this whole side of the conversation that I thought we might have gotten to, but we didn't. You spent some time at Brown & Brown, mm -hmm. which is national broker, huge organization, tens of thousands of people you know, work there across the country. You now have an operation with three people, mm -hmm. but you spent time there. You obviously absorbed some of their best practices and ways of doing business. A as you reflect on maybe some of the differences between a huge organization like a Brown & Brown, what are one or two things that you took away from your experience there that you've incorporated into how you operate as a, a small locally owned agency? Man, that is a curveball. Basically, one or two things that you, you know, best practices that you picked up that you have incorporated into how you operate I as mean, a small the agency. The process owner. of taking an account to market and working through a market manager, you know, that's something I think most extremely large agencies will have and not something that I, I had ever dealt with before or since, um, where all of our submissions had to go to one person, then she would take it out to the markets and then she would discuss with underwriting. She knew the carrier appetites, right? She's like, okay, I know this carrier likes this, this carrier likes that. Eh, they might not be a good fit, but you know, she knew the markets better than, than an agent ever could. And so they would go and negotiate with underwriting. They would get the quotes back. And then we'd schedule a follow-up appointment and say, okay, here's what I got back. What are you thinking? What's it going to take to win the business? So from that, that was probably, if I had to pick the biggest thing, but also... The other thing is the importance of culture and, dare I say, lack thereof. I felt like, you know, when I went there, I was kind of, hey, here's your computer terminal. Go get them, Tiger. Having coming from a captive and going to an independent, yeah. I had no idea what that looked like. Like I didn't – it was that overwhelming that we talked about. And maybe, it where I, maybe it's where I was as a person at the time when I took that position versus where I am now. But the overwhelming of I can go anywhere and write anything was extremely overwhelming for me because mm. it's like I didn't know where to go. And so that was probably that was probably what led to me exiting at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just didn't want to be in insurance anymore. Truth be told, I just I had thrown my hands up and didn't want to do it anymore. So you went from Fed to Brown and Brown and that's when you exited. Yep. Gotcha. But there was probably some hangover there from leaving Federated and going to Brown and Brown where maybe I probably wasn't, I wasn't even hundred percent committed to making it work. Yeah. You know what I mean? A little bit of fatigue, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, because I grinded for six, seven years to build something in a matter of a year, it was gone. Mm. And I felt like the last seven years of my career, other than what I had learned had been wasted financially. Yeah. No, so. that's totally valid, man. This has been a, a wonderful rambling conversation. <laughs> um, par for the course with JC Wagaman, for sure. I know I said it before, but man, I'll say it again. I'm just a huge fan of yours. I think you are exactly the kind of professional that the industry needs. And yeah, I just look forward to seeing your success grow and grow. The fact that you got a, a former Allstate agency owner to come and join your team and be a producer at Catalyst, that tells me you're doing a lot of things right, man. You Can I tell you a really cool story about that before Dude, we end? absolutely. Let, let's uh, end with so a cool how, story. how I got to meet... Kyle, uh, our new producer, is one of the organizations that I had donated to was called Indiana Concerns of Police Survivors. And it's an organization made up of family members who lost loved ones in the line of duty, police that were killed in action. 
And so Kyle's father had actually been killed in the line of duty as a police officer several years back. And so he was actually on the board of directors for that organization. And he's in several of my pictures holding one of those big checks. And after donating to him for two years in a row to the organization, I, you know, he said he owned an Allstate office. I said, you know, what percentage of people can you write that you get phone calls from? And I asked, that was the only question I asked him. I didn't pound it. I didn't beat it. And then he called me about six months ago, says, hey, they're changing things up on us. And uh, I don't know that I want to do Allstate anymore. It's like, well, I said, hey, I will be more than happy to help you start your own if you want to do that. But I've kind of done the hard part. You can come here and just sell. We'll figure out a way to make it work. And that's how he ended up coming on board. So I met him through my nonprofit giving. Mm. Imagine that. <laughs> right. So the, it's a whole separate conversation. I know you said that there's been some growing pains, as you could expect with anybody who goes from being a, a business owner to being an employee again. We'll need to have that conversation on a different day because I imagine there's a lot of meat on that bone for sure. But that's a great place to end the episode here. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for, for them to reach you? You have a preferred social channel? I'm on all social. Feel free to reach out to me. And then, you know, they can reach out to me by email as well, jc at catalystinsgrp.com. Easy enough. So he is JC Wagman, the founder and principal of Catalyst Insurance Group in what's what city is it? I know you're it's a su- suburb of Indiana. Indiana. I can see downtown through on a uh, down the street from a, on a clear day from Indianapolis. There you go, Greenwood, Indiana. This has been another episode of the Agents of Freedom podcast, boys and girls. Make it a great day. We'll talk to you again real soon. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite platform to get automatic updates with every new episode and help other people find us. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share AFP with someone you know who is still in captivity. They'll thank you later. Visit our website at agencyfreedom.com to get access to exclusive content and announcements. Join our community on Facebook by typing in Agency Freedom in the search bar. Send your questions, comments, guest recommendations, and favorite grilling recipes to us at podcast at agencyfreedom.com. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help insurance professionals move from captivity to freedom. Until next time, let's go. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? 
And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, at Virtual Intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast certified.